On the show today, we are going to be talking about food shortages around the world. We do have some right now, but if you look ahead to that magical year of 2050, if you expect to still be here in 2050, hopefully you expect to be here, then we could have a really big problem because that's when the world's population is supposed to be just under 10 billion. Somehow it is supposed to rise and then level off and then stay there. But we've got to find a way to feed everybody. And I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of farmers' fields are being knocked down in favor of subdivisions these days. And so we need some pretty unique scientific inventions. And fortunately, one of those has started now. In about 40 minutes, maybe even less, 35. How about 30? Give me 30. We will be talking with Dr. Ted Cocking, and he is actually in Nottingham in England. And I don't know if they have a thunderstorm warning there, but we have a thunderstorm warning here. So take note, there could be thunderstorms around. He's going to talk about crops that essentially seed themselves and plants that can do some pretty wild things. How have they done this? Well, he'll break that down for us. It is also a big day for Hockey Canada in London, Ontario. All kinds of Hockey Canada personnel are here. If you just finished up lunch, maybe you saw some of them. Because Tom Rennie is here. He is the CEO and Executive Director of Hockey Canada. Ryan Smith is here. Mike Babcock, Danielle Goyette, members of the 2018 gold medal winning World Junior Hockey Championship team are here. Tyler McGregor is here. In fact, Tyler McGregor is going to be on the show in about an hour from now because there was a big announcement regarding para-ice hockey and London, Ontario. You've been hearing a little bit about it on 980 CFPL News. Well, we'll get more on that, and we'll find out what the Hockey Canada Foundation actually is and what this gala tonight is all about. It is sold out here in London. But first up, three things to think about. I don't even want to read this, but I have to. Donald Trump has tweeted, quote, We've never seen a period of time like this. The whole world is looking up to the United States, and the United States is respected again. There was a period of time we were not so respected not so long ago. The United States is respected again. That's a pretty recent tweet. Uh, sorry, that's, that's a tweet coming actually from Daniel Dale. And this was not tweeted by Donald Trump, just to be clear. Daniel Dale is a writer for the Toronto Star. He's actually their Washington correspondent. And that was a quote that he got from U.S. President Donald Trump. Is it okay if I don't feel that that's the truth? Is, it, is that all right? I'm, I'm lost. I really am. Because this kind of stuff is as divisive as it comes. You'll have people who will hear that and say, yes, that's exactly how it is. And I don't get that. And then other people who look at it and just kind of say, oh, give me a break, all this Trump stuff. You know, the guy breeds his own fake news. A tweet that he did send out said Germany had an increase in its crime rate, and they were having this and that. And that was followed up by someone who fact-checked and said, Germany just recorded its lowest crime rate since 1992. Number of crimes have dropped from 10% or dropped by 10% from 2016. So I, I really get tired just seeing all of this stuff. And I don't know what to do with it because Donald Trump is going to continue to throw that stuff out there and his supporters will continue to support. And I'm, I'm blown away by it. I really am. 
If you've been watching the World Cup of Soccer, you've seen all kinds of wild things happen. Iceland ties Argentina, and 99.6% of people who had a TV on in Iceland during that match were watching the match. 99.6. Don't you want to know what the other .4 were watching? We don't know. I have no Icelandic news. I have no idea. An infomercial. There was this mop. You would not believe this mop. It picks up everything. Watch here. Get the muddy dog to walk across the floor. Look at this. It picks up the muddy dog's footprints. How about if I spill an entire bowl of spaghetti sauce on the floor? Look at this. It picks up the entire bowl, and you only have to wring it out once. I hope that's what they were wa- they, That's what they were watching, but mm, probably not. They were watching, for the most part, Iceland and Argentina. Germany lost. We're not going to check in with the German-Canadian club right now. It's early. It's very early. That happened yesterday. England is about to play at 2 o'clock. But one of the concerns that people seem to have, and a lot of those people are involved with FIFA, is that it estimates there have been thousands upon thousands of empty seats at the World Cup. And this doesn't always happen. There were 6,000 empty seats for the Uruguay-Egypt game going back to Friday. And they're wondering why that is. Well, it's a few things. When you host a great big event, you give away a lot of seats. They actually scrape some seats off the top, and they are allocated for sponsors. And sponsors, because they've been given free tickets, may or may not come. They didn't pay hundreds of dollars, so... Maybe they don't show. That happens. And the other issue is maybe people are just staying home and watching. Maybe ticket prices are too high. And we've seen this in a few things. We've seen it going back to the most recent Memorial Cup in Regina. And there is a tipping point out there somewhere for the price of tickets and the availability of events. Doesn't matter what the event is. Sporting events are easiest to kind of point to. But there's a tipping point. And I think we're near it. I really do. With the cost of what a ticket is, the experience that you can have, some are great. I mean, you can have fantastic experiences where you don't have to spend hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. But the World Cup, you're spending a good chunk of change for your ticket. And maybe people just didn't want to buy all of them up. Maybe you have hit the tipping point at the World Cup because everything is more, 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 more. There is a tipping point. And I think we keep our eye on this because I think we're close to it in a few things at least. And one last thing to think about and maybe even talk about because this raises an issue and it actually comes out of a CFL game. I don't know if you saw it on the weekend, but some wing nut got down on the field. He took off his pants. He had underwear on, but he took off his pants And got down on the field, and during what appeared to be a TV timeout, he was kind of running around during the BC-Montreal game on Saturday night. And it doesn't take much of a search to find the video. Uh, I don't have it right now, but if you want to find it, you can find it, let's say. And I'll see if I can find one of the camera angles. And he's wandering around on the field, running around, and all of a sudden he starts to run closer to Marcel Young who plays for the BC Lions. And Young lunges at him and decks him. Like, not with a punch, but as if he was a player running down the field 
And Marcel Young, being a defensive player, labels him, knocks him down, flat. And there are people who are now speaking up saying that Mark Marcel Young shouldn't have done that, that it was, a, it was too much. It, you hit him too hard. Uh, somebody raised the point of what if that hit were to cause an injury or something long-term, maybe even paralysis. Not worth it for players to be hitting fans that get out on the field. Well, you need a deterrent for something like this because that's a very dangerous situation. What if this guy has decided to run out on the field with a knife? Do we have to go back to Steffi Graf? Do we have to say that, hey, athletes sometimes are in danger, and if you've got some yahoo running around the field, if you knock him down so that security can come and pick him up, is that not a good thing? I mean, we care for the victim in too many cases. You know, we, or we, we, sorry, we treat the perpetrator and, as if they, they were a victim in too many cases. This guy's not a victim. As soon as he removed his pants, he was doing something wrong. There is no point at any time in any game where you are sitting in the crowd and you should feel the urge to remove your pants. And if you do, you shouldn't be there. Keep your pants on. You're in public. Very few times in public where you actually need to remove your pants. And you better have a big old bathing suit on underneath if you choose to. So this guy is down. We've seen this in hockey. There was a guy who jumped down. I think it was Ray Scapinello, who was a linesman. And a guy jumped down onto the ice in Boston. And Scapinello took him out. I mean, this guy got nailed into the end boards. And he didn't hear too much about that. But now, all of a sudden, well, you know, we're worried about how, how we treat people who are, who are doing things wrong. Why? Is there too hard a hit for someone who's down doing this? Somebody who decides to streak or run around the field or be an idiot at a game needs to know that you'll pay really big fines, huge fines for doing this. They actually should be bigger, but you'll have your appearance in court. And a lot of times, is it alcohol-fueled? Absolutely it is. But come on. I mean, is there too hard a hit for someone? One thing that they have tried in the United States, and it would be interesting to get your thoughts on A, What do you do with somebody who runs around on the field without their pants on? But it would also be interesting to get your thoughts on this, because this is a very sad story. There was a 15-year-old, and he decided to go streaking at a high school football game in Alabama. And in Alabama, if you are seen naked in public, you can be registered as a sex offender. So there was a risk that he could be. He was obviously seen. He did not have a mask on. He was arrested. He was charged. And there was the threat that he could be placed on a list as a sex offender for doing this. And this boy ended up committing suicide over this. So it's an extremely sad story. So I don't think that that's the length you want to go to. But how do we keep people out of the situations that they should not be in. And when they get there, how much leniency do you take? Setting an example for somebody is a brilliant thing to do. It's how you parent. You set up consequences 
They don't have to be nasty consequences, but you know, it's it's never a bad thing if a child learns a little lesson from something. Where if you are going to say, "Hey, if this happens and you do it, here's what's going to happen," and if they do it and that happens, then they've learned. Let's open up the phones on this five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. People who do things that they should not do that aren't necessarily going to hurt a lot of other people, but you've got to say, no, 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 we don't want to open the door to more people doing this. How much leniency do you take? This guy running around on the football field in British Columbia in Vancouver got decked. And now people are saying, oh, hit him too hard. Shouldn't hit him that hard. Well, okay, I can I can understand you don't want him to be injured, and I can understand there could be legal ramifications for Marcel Young if he was, but how does somebody learn not to do this again? 519-643-2222. John, what do you think? Hey, a couple things. You brought up a bunch of points here, so I'll hit three of them. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, I was in the States yesterday, uh, uh, the big car show. So uh, just uh, you were uh, ranting on Trump there. So I saw some interesting things there. I saw someone walking around with a T-shirt. So this is in the States. And the T-shirt said, Make America Sane Again. So got a pretty good laugh out of that. And uh, then coming back home, uh, heading up towards Port Huron there, huge, huge billboard on the side of, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, I-69? 69, yeah. Um, just out, uh, just south of uh, Port Huron, huge, huge sign that said "Impeach," and then underneath that said "Make America America Again." So there sounds like there's some Americans on our side. Down wow! There. Yeah, and that's a huge, huge, huge billboard. Maybe I don't know, 20 miles south of Port Huron, uh, heading north. Um, then you said the tipping with the uh, sports teams. You mm-hmm. were mentioning soccer. My son uh, met up with a few of his friends in Toronto on the weekend. So. Cheap, cheap tickets they bought to see the Jays on Saturday. So just for my son, now he stayed overnight in Oakville at a buddy as his parents. But so the tickets, cheap ticket, forty bucks for the ticket for the Jays on Saturday. It cost them eighty bucks return uh, for Via. So forty bucks there on Saturday, forty bucks back yesterday. They had uh, each uh, two tall boys each, the the kids, and my son said tall boys uh, beers there were thirteen seventy five each. So they spent, now the other two kids are from the Toronto area, so they didn't have the Via uh, tickets, but my son spent over 200 bucks. And that, that was just for him. That was just for him. So they're saying now, they're just going to get together now, and everyone's got big screen TVs and the nice chairs and the basements, all of the kids' parents do. So they're just saying, for that kind of money, why don't we just meet for, leave on a Friday, drive, to either London, Oakville, spend the whole week in there, watch the game at home, and have a whole bunch more people over, make a big party of it, and not have to work. Oh, the other thing, they had go train tickets to go back and forth from Oakville into uh, Toronto. Sure. So, you know, where is the tipping point? These kids are 20 years old each, and they, they said that, that was good. One year, one time, one year, they'll do that, but the rest of the games they're going to be watching on TV. That says it. John, thanks for all oh, that. One more thing. Oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm an old guy, so, you know, the streaking thing, back in the mid-70s, 
it was almost disappointing when you were watching a baseball game on TV and uh, <laughs> there wasn't a streak. It was so big. You know, Ray Stevens had a song that made top ten called The Streak. And, uh, you know, back then when I, you know, it was hilarious. I remember when my first job was working at McDonald's on Oxford Street and it was called Hutton Side Road then, not Wonderland. And we'd get streakers in there late on Friday night where, you know, they'd jump out of a car, run in one door and out the other with the car waiting for them. But uh, when you go back to the sports games, you know, the players didn't do anything. They said, stood around watching, laughing. It was security that made it fun watching them try to chase the person around, tackle them, and then get them off the field. So, you know what? It's, it, it, it's pretty crazy. I don't think I'd do it. I'd give my son hell if he ever did it. But to watch it, it is kind of funny. I don't think the players have to go crazy. Let security do their job. It even makes, you know, and to tell you the truth, on some of the professional sports on our teams that I follow, anyways, they're pretty damn boring this year. So uh, a little comic relief there seeing these streakers <laughs> out there. Well said. Thanks for the call, John. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> We've been talking about, and John hit on all of them, three things to think about at the start of the show. Uh, So from Trump to make America sane again, to make America America again, to tipping points in sports. I mean, at some point this week, I think all of these three things merit longer conversation. 519-643-2222. Marilyn, how are you? Oh, hi there. I'll have to go in the other room because I don't think you could hear me over the air conditioner and the birds. Now, we live in a different world, not a better world at all. I feel very sorry for that that 15-year-old boy. What a tragedy. And there must have been something wrong with that boy to begin with. To uh, street now, was it at a game? That it he- was at a football game. It was in 2013. So this was just an example of hey, Alabama has gone very, very strict on this. They threatened being registered as a sex offender, and here's one of the outcomes. So I don't think we need to go that far because of that. And I think a lot of places have learned from that. Well, uh, I certainly hope so, but I don't think so. And as far as this other man taking his pants off, well, he just got a little bit too overexcited about the game. (laughs) I think uh, what he was doing at the game probably altered how he was feeling. Marilyn, thank you. Marilyn, do you have any time this week to have coffee? Well, yes. Let's see. Tomorrow I hope to go to get my blood test. How about Wednesday? Wednesday? Well, Wednesday is great. I think you and I should go for coffee on Wednesday. All right. Now, um, you phone me because I don't, I will. I don't know what you look like in your car. All right. I will work all the details off, but yeah, Marilyn, I thought I... It's, it's high time. I was talking with a good buddy of mine, Brian, and he said, have you taken Marilyn out for coffee yet? And I said, I haven't. And he says, you have to do that. So <laughs> Wednesday, we are out for coffee. Okay, Marilyn, dear. thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye, dear. <laughs> Bye-bye. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. If you're on hold, please stay on hold. I threw out three things to think about, and you know what? All three merit more conversation this week. We will certainly do that. But if you're on hold, stay on hold. You can always email me, Mike, at 980cfpl.ca. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980cfpl. A couple of emails to get to, but let's go back to the phones. Richard, how are you? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Great, thanks. You know, Mike... There's an image I still can't get out of my head after watching it on the news, and that was a little three-year-old girl that was being forcefully taken away from her parents. 
As you know, Mike, I don't support illegal immigration, and I certainly don't support sanctuary cities, but I certainly at the same time do not believe right in forcefully taking children away from their parents, and I find that absolutely disgusting, and it makes no sense to me at all, right, what President Trump is doing. That is certainly not going to make America safe, because those young children someday, they are going to grow up, and they're going to have to live with that for the rest of their lives, and they're going to hate America because of it. Take a look at what we did in this country right back in the 60s. We called it the 60s scoop, right? We forcefully took First Nations children away from their parents, right? And today now they're in their 60s, right? And they still haven't forgotten that. But at least our government today in Canada is trying to do something right by apologizing to them. And that's one apology, right, that I agree with from our federal government. But anyways, right, I find it absolutely disgusting, right, what America is doing today in 2018, we are forcibly removing children right from their parents. Like I said, I don't support illegals. Uh illegal immigration. I don't like them coming across our borders illegally, and I certainly don't like um, sanctuary cities. But at the same time, I do not believe in forcefully removing children from their parents. In other words, put them all into the same detention facility, right? That way the parents can be with their children, right? And the children will be safe with their parents, but you don't forcefully remove them. I find it absolutely disgusting, right, what Trump's America is doing today. And I'd love to hear one of your Trump supporters call in and try to justify that because it's absolutely disgusting, Mike. You have a good day. You too. Well, Richard laid down the challenge. Challenge is there. You want to call in and defend it? Go ahead, because I can't. 643-2222. We're going to break for news with Jacqueline LaBelle, and then we'll talk more about this. Plus, we are going to get to Dr. Ted Cocking, who has come up with a way for, and he's been part of a big project, He's come up with a way to make it easier to grow food, which is a key to the future, an absolute key. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. A couple of emails to get to before we start talking about the future of food. You look ahead to 2050. For whatever reason, that's the year that has been painted as this is when the world's population is going to surge like this big wave and then start to... Settle out a little bit and we'll be just under 10 billion people feeding everybody is difficult now. It's not done overly effectively now. We still have people who deal with hunger every day. What happens when we add about 3 billion people just shy of that onto what we have now? So we're going to look at one strategy that has been developed and we're going to go all the way to Nottingham, England to do it. And that's coming up in about five minutes from now. But I want to catch up just on the conversation we were finishing with regard to people who go down onto playing surfaces. A lot of times they'll take off their pants to do it. Don't. If ever you are at a game and you have the urge to take off your pants or you see somebody who you are with about to do it, you stop them. Don't. Nothing good comes of this. You would not believe the fines. I'm not talking about this from personal standpoints, but... I've had friends, and it's not worth it. You don't necessarily gain your 15 minutes of fame. doesn't work out. Uh, got an email from Steve saying, players should just stay away from streakers. Too many liability risks. And that was one of the big conversations right away because in British Columbia and Vancouver, at a BC Lions game, guys running around on the field, and Marcel Young, who plays for the Lions, decked him. 
not punched him, but hit him like he was carrying a football. And the guy went down flat on his back, and security picked him up and hauled him off, and we'll never hear from him again. He'll have his court date, and he'll pay his fines. But people are saying, oh, that's too much. You you shouldn't shouldn't hit somebody that hard. We also have an email from Rob saying, the way I see it, if you're there when you shouldn't be, you should be fair game. Cross-check to the face, kick in the junk, whatever it takes. And Rob actually included an article from the L.A. Times that dates back to the end of April. But it was a moment 40 years ago at Dodger Stadium, and I'd forgotten about this, where two men were attempting to burn the American flag in the outfield at Dodger Stadium, and Rick Monday actually saw it happen, went and pulled the flag away from them and saved the flag. I forgot about that. It's been 40 years. A lot of times Rick Monday is a difficult name to hear for people in Canada because he happened to hit a certain home run against the Montreal Expos that ended a season that many Expos fans were hoping would result in a World Series. So... Yeah, I forgot he did that. So, Rob, thanks for sending that along. We will take a quick break. And then Dr. Ted Cocking, bioscientist from the Center for Crop Nitrogen Fixation. That's a big title, but he's talking about something that is very necessary. If you look at one of the biggest problems in the world right now, you can try and say Donald Trump. It's not going to be Donald Trump. It's making sure everybody has enough to eat. Because if we can't make that happen... We've got a big problem on our hands, and that's what Dr. Cocking is going to be addressing. He's next. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Let's get scientific for just a little bit because it addresses a big problem that our world faces now in a way, but is certainly going to face as our population continues to grow, and that is feeding the population. And there have been some pretty unique advances that have actually allowed for the headline making food crops that feed themselves. That's helpful. It's almost like having, what, a nine-year-old in the house? Would it be nine? By the time you're eight, nine years old, you can make a peanut butter sandwich. All of a sudden, you have a child that is self-sufficient. They know where the peanut butter is. You trust them to use a butter knife. They can find a bread or a piece of bread, and they can make a peanut butter sandwich. They have become self-sufficient. Well, what if we could do that with crops? There is a man who is working on that right now. He is a bioscientist with the Center for Crop Nitrogen Fixation, and we have found him in England. His name, Dr. Edward Cocking. Dr. Cocking, thanks so much for being on London Live. How are things in Nottingham? Well, I'm okay today. The sun's shining, but it's going to be raining heavily soon here in Nottingham in England. Well, enjoy that. How, how often do you get the sunshine in Nottingham in England? Oh, um, almost every second day from uh, May until uh, September. Not bad. And you know what? Good for crops. Very good for crops. And 
as oh, we yeah. as we look forward, we've got an issue that we keep hearing about every once in a while, and people will say, yes, 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 that that's a big issue. The issue is feeding the world, and we still struggle with it in some parts of the world, but as our population grows, everybody always looks ahead to 2050 and says, that's kind of the point yeah. when we're going to really be in tough. How are we going to feed the world? How often should we be asking that question right now? Oh, we should keep on asking it at the present moment, because uh, what we can't do is to uh, sacrifice more of the best land and soil. We've got to take what we've got and try and improve production on that soil. We're hearing that the population could be 9.8 billion by then. Yeah. Someone who deals with the idea of feeding that many people, is there a way to put some perspective on that? Uh, well, uh, the, um, the perspective is to increase what's called the productivity of the crop, whether it's corn, maize or wheat or soybean. It's getting more more for less inputs. And that's something that you have been very involved with. Can you give us a sense of what you have been a part of and, and what it might be doing? Yes. Um, well, uh, plants uh, uh, need lots of nitrogen. They need lots of what's called fixed nitrogen from the atmosphere, uh, as uh, nitrate or ammonia. And um, uh, at the present moment, uh, an enormous amount of so-called synthetic nitrogen fertilizer is used to produce the crops. And so what we've got to do, and that's polluting, it's polluting the water systems, it's polluting the atmosphere, it's polluting the soil generally, and it's affecting people's health because most of the uh, 50% or more of fertilizer that's added to crops uh, is uh, run off and gets into the water systems and the atmosphere. So we've got to do something about that. So we need less synthetic nitrogen fertilizer. And what we've been doing is we've been, we've been looking to find some very efficient nitrogen-fixing bacteria that will convert nitrogen in the air into nitrate and ammonia and to use those and put them inside the main cereals of the world. Okay, and we'll talk about how that has been going in just a moment. We're talking with bioscientist yeah. Dr. Ted Cocking from the Center for Crop Nitrogen Fixation in the UK, in Nottingham. So that does not sound for us like an easy process. Uh, take us through... Uh, Take us through the challenge of yeah. making something well, like that happen. Um, um, most things in science are not easy. Science doesn't happen overnight. But uh, we can learn a lot from nature. And fortunately, um, about uh, 10 or so, 15 years ago, it was found in Brazil in sugarcane that sugarcane was growing well uh, because it had a naturally occurring uh, nitrogen-fixing, nitrogen-grabbing bacterium uh, that would get nitrogen from the atmosphere inside sugarcane juice. And what we did was to say, well, uh, that's very interesting in sugarcane, but can we get that to work better, and can we get that to work 
in the cereals of the world. If we can, then uh, it'll live inside the sugarcane plant. It'll get energy uh, in the cereal it'll live, and it'll get energy from sunlight, and it'll uh, convert nitrogen in the atmosphere. 70% of the atmosphere, more 78%, is nitrogen, and so it'll convert that into ammonia, and that'll be increased plant productivity. So if we're to, to kind of boil that down, could that mean it's almost yeah. feeding itself? Yes, it's self-fertilizing. Um, and that's the great aim. That's the, the why. It's a, a revolution beginning, beginning in agriculture. Uh, we're living at the moment of what we call here in England uh, the Industrial Revolution, the chemical process for converting nitrogen into ammonia at high temperature and pressure, polluting of the atmosphere and the environment generally. And what we're doing is replacing that uh, by a biological system which works at uh, normal temperature and pressure. Is Vietnam a place where this has been happening? Yes, trials uh, trials have been uh, 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 carried out on rice in Vietnam uh, because uh, farmers there uh, want to do two things. They want to increase their productivity. Vietnam needs more rice. You, you mentioned food needs of the world. Uh, rice is so critical, the most uh, abundant uh, crop that's directly consumed. And farmers want, want to increase the amount they get per acre, their productivity, and they want to reduce the amount of synthetic nitrogen fertilizer that they add. And the technology uh, we develop basically here at Nottingham um, can very significantly reduce the amount of fertilizer. Sometimes 50, 60 percent less is required, and uh, you get, in certain instances, an increased production. Now, in terms of spreading this around the world, how could that happen, Dr. Cocking? Uh, well, uh, that's by um, uh, me talking to you on the Canadian radio. Uh, but uh, in practice, um, by setting up field trials in various countries, in various parts of Europe, in, in, in Germany, Italy, Spain, and so on, and carrying out field trials in Canada and in uh, America and uh, uh, Brazil. And we are talking with bioscientist Dr. Ted Cocking from the Center for Crop Nitrogen Fixation in the UK from Nottingham. Uh, one last thing, and, and that is simply, if this does work out, how does that change mm -hmm. The, the fortunes of the world when we get to that magic year of 2050 or somewhere around there when our population is nearly 10 billion? What it'll do is it will enable us to feed that 10 billion without seriously damaging our planet. Without polluting the planet, we'll be able to increase the amount of food that's available and we will be able to satisfy that 10 plus billion. 
Dr. Cocking, this is extraordinary, and uh, this this is one of those things that I uh, I don't think we can quite get our heads around now, but in the future, this is going to mean everything for all of us. Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on your work and continued success. Thanks very much, and best wishes from the uh, uh, from Nottingham, which is 120 miles from London, England. Fantastic. That is Dr. Edward Cocking. We are, of course, the other London. Do we do we still have to be the other London? Can't we just have like a one and a one A? Well, that that goes very scientific. Dr. Edward Cocking is a very scientific individual, but in the end, it's about finding ways for plants to feed themselves, and they're on track to doing that. Can you sweep it across the world? Yeah, you actually can. It would just take a little doing, but certainly it's nice to see stories like that before we start saying, hey, population hits 8 billion next week. Hey, up to 9 billion. Not sure what we're all going to eat. How about a Cheeto? Anybody for a Cheeto? How about more packaged stuff? No, that's, that's not what you want. So it's nice to know what's happening now. Time for a quick break. We'll let you know what's coming up after 2 o'clock when we return. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Thomas Markle has done his first interview since his daughter Meghan married Prince Harry and became Duchess of Sussex, right? Duchess of Sussex? Still hard to say. And... One of the lines that he gave, he unfortunately could not be at the wedding because of health issues. But one of the things that Thomas Markle said was, quote, The unfortunate thing for me is I'm a footnote in one of the greatest moments in history rather than the dad walking her down the aisle. I don't know about that. I mean, our history works in strange ways. Do you not think he will be better remembered for being that footnote than had he actually been at the wedding? Quick, name some of the other guests that the Duchess of Sussex had at the wedding. Uh, her mom? Just guessing. And they showed her a lot. If you watch coverage on Global, you saw her quite a bit. Uh, I don't know. People from Suits? It's a pretty safe bet, too. But no, you remember Thomas Markle. Quick, what's Meghan Markle's mom's name? Uh, I don't know. What's her dad's name? Thomas. You remember him better because he was that footnote. Because he could not be there. That's going to cause him to be remembered for all time. Because he wasn't there. Strange how history can work, isn't it? Coming up. They are making a little history tonight in London. Hockey Canada is here, and we're going to hear from a few people from Hockey Canada in our number two of the show because we are going to find out what the Hockey Canada Foundation is all about. They've done some pretty amazing things, and with their gala tonight, they will be doing more for London, Ontario. So we'll find out what it means to actually have this gala here. There was a big announcement today with regard to para-ice hockey. We are due to be joined by one of the best in the world, and he's a guy from Forrest. Tyler McGregor is going to be on the show. And we are also due to hear from Alex Formanton and Robert Thomas, who are here as part of the World Junior Hockey Championship team of 2018 that will be honored for their gold medal win. Mike Babcock. Coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs is here. Ryan Smith 
former NHLer, largely with the Edmonton Oilers, and Danielle Goyette, who has done so many great things in the women's game including leading this country to medal after medal after medal. She is going to be honored. They're going to receive the Order of Hockey Canada, basically. So that's coming up tonight. But we'll focus in on that after Jacqueline LaBelle and news. So Tyler McGregor, Donnie Umpieri, who's the executive director of the Hockey Canada Foundation. And we'll also hear a quick interview that you may have been able to hear just afternoon with Alex Formanton and Robert Thomas. All of that straight ahead. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. England and Tunisia are underway at the World Cup, and there was a very brief injury to England's keeper, and he was down on the pitch, and he was in a lot of pain. He was kicking his feet, and he, he looked to be in horrible pain, and then all of a sudden he popped back up. And uh, he's flexed his shoulder a little bit. He's looking fine. But I don't notice that they're using the magic spray as much in this World Cup. Christian Davino is producing the show today. Christian, I don't think you've missed one second of World Cup action. You even sat through Iran and Morocco, which is a feat. But I don't see the magic spray anymore. Do they not use it? Yeah, I'll just say I was saved from the Iran-Morocco game for your show, so uh, thank you for that. But um, yeah, no, the Magic Spray, they've kind of done way with it a little bit, just because uh, a lot of players don't find that it works as much anymore. Do we know what was in that Magic Spray? I don't know. It was like a numbing numbing pain, but it, it stopped really doing anything, I guess, and a lot of players uh, just don't use it, don't want it anymore. Uh, only trainers I see doing it is... Uh, See it a lot in Italy because, tactically speaking, they love to waste time with that. Right. Okay. So no, no magic spray at the World Cup. I think they do have it if they need it, in maybe in very special circumstances. You know, this is this is almost like what we were talking about last hour, where when you have somebody running around on the field without their pants on and you let them do it, then more people are going to do it. So every once in a while, somebody like Marcel Young needs to deck one of these people. It needs to go viral. And then other people will say, you know what? I was going to take off my pants. I was going to run down on the pitch. I was going to run around and make a fool out of myself. I've had just enough alcohol to do it. But I've decided, ah, I remember that video. I like my teeth. I don't want to spend tomorrow in a dental chair. So I think I'll keep my pants on and watch the rest of the game. Yeah. Makes sense. With this, if long ago someone had said to the person writhing around on the ground in soccer, you know what, you're not that injured. You're not, you're not really injured at all. You're trying to waste time. We're just going to keep going. It probably would have stopped. You know, hockey had to do it with diving for a while. They used to take the names of people and say these, the following people have been caught diving in the past week, and basically shamed them into diving less. There's always going to be a gray area, but if you can keep as much of that away as possible, see that magic spray. Ah, I don't get it. We have a big event here in London at the convention center tonight. The Hockey Canada Foundation Gala is here. 
And that means all kinds of dignitaries from across the country. We've had announcements already today. We have more things to come. But we are very lucky to be joined right now by a man who is one of the top para-ice hockey players in the world. And he comes from Forrest. And he is in town as well. Tyler McGregor. Tyler, how are things? Tyler, can you hear us okay? Yeah, I can hear you Hey, excellent. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Let's kind of go through the announcement from this morning. But even before then, I mean, para-ice hockey, hockey itself, you've played both. You've sustained injuries. At any time, like in the soccer world, has anybody offered up a magic spray to help things out? Not once. Not no, one we've time. Never had, we, we've never had that luxury. No magic sp- yeah I, I, it's it is unique to soccer but it's not even at the World Cup as much right now let's <laughs> go back over a few things starting with this morning and the announcement of a brand new event basically that London's going to play a part in what can you tell us yeah I'm excited um, we're, we're excited to have Canadian Tire come on as the title sponsor for what used to be the world sledge hockey challenge um, it's now now renamed as the Canadian Tire Para Hockey Cup, and and we're excited that that year one of that is going to be in London. And um, you know, myself and, and a teammate James Dunn, who are both local to London, um, and basically grew up playing hockey in and around the city. Uh, we're excited to be a part of that announcement, and um, you know, we're really looking forward to December. Uh, you know, I can echo that for the rest of our team as well. Uh, we have such a, a strong representation of, of players from. You know, southwestern Ontario and around the GTA. So it's pretty special to be back in Ontario and be able to compete close to home and and be easily accessible to, to family and friends because we haven't had that opportunity since since 2013 when we played in Toronto. Um, so you know, we lo- we know London's a, a tremendous hockey community, uh, and we're just we're excited to to come here and and play in a, in a tournament that that showcases the top four teams in our sport. Uh, and it's just going to be a, a tremendous event. When you look, it it just seems like a, it's been only a couple of years, and then you start quoting, yeah, well, when we did this in 2013, which was five years ago, how quickly have the last few years gone by since you turned from ice hockey to playing para-ice hockey? It's flown by, to be honest. It's hard to believe. You know, it's kind of a catch-22, I guess, because it feels like I've been around forever. It feels like... I've been able to play for Team Canada for a very long time, but at the same time, it's it's gone by so fast, and so much has happened with our team, and and we've accomplished a lot, and we've you know had some of the most heartbreaking finishes to tournaments and, and results that that I've ever been a part of, and, and so it's been a roller coaster over the past six years, and and I've enjoyed every moment, and I'm excited to to continue that uh, for years in the future. Um, you, you know, I guess. The, the start of our our next Paralympic journey starts next year in London, and I can think of, of no better place to start. Um, but, you know, I've been honoured to, to represent Canada now for six seasons and, and hopefully many more years into the future and, and just continue to win gold medals. Tyler McGregor with us from Team Canada. Tyler, a lot of people do know your story. For those who don't, you were diagnosed with spindle cell sarcoma in your left leg, and your left leg ended up being amputated when you were how old? 
Yeah, I was I was had just turned sixteen when I had my amputation. It's it's so difficult to picture what must have been going through your mind at that time. Is there anything that you take from that time now that that you still reflect on that you you kind of use in in daily life, or was that just a tough time in life? It was a it was a very difficult time, and I think you know I think one of the things that that honestly benefited me and especially at a young age, no one wants to go through a, a circumstance like that. But I think at the time I was, I was a young, naive teenager, just kind of going through life, going through the motions. And, you know, I wasn't really aware of, of really what was happening. And, and I think, you know, that, that kind of helped with staying positive and, and just taking it day by day. But I was lucky to, to be surrounded by, incredible people um obviously starting with my my parents and my sister and and our family and some amazing friends from from forest and a community that that stood behind me the whole time in addition to a hockey community in southwestern ontario and and in all of ontario for that matter that that offered their support at any moment and so i was i was lucky to have that and and you know in, in all honesty that that kind of gave me a sense of hope that that helped me through each day when when I wasn't really you know feeling the best or or, or was just ready to give up um, you know that's kind of what what helped me hold on and and I'm so fortunate to that I that I was able to find sledge hockey and and be able to um, be a high performance athlete again and play for Team Canada and it's been an amazing journey since then and. Uh, I just feel feel very lucky and very honored to be able to do what we do. Your dream had been to play hockey at the professional level, and then you did go through the time when your life changed, and then your sport, in a way, winds up changing. Can you remember the first time someone suggested playing sledge hockey to you? I can actually. I was I was uh, I was actually told about the sport uh, by a former coach at a at a Kitchener. Um, who was good friends with the the former na- coach of the national team, and, and so, you know, I remember I remember being told about it and and being intrigued, but a bit hesitant at the same time, because uh, I I figured that you know first things first I'd try skating with a prosthetic leg and 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 so I did that, um, but once I realized that you know I wasn't I wasn't gonna play in the NHL as an above knee amputee. Sledge hockey offered me the opportunity to, to play hockey at the highest level again and, and compete for a Paralympic medal. And and so I, I found it extremely difficult to transition initially. Um, but once you once you adapt to the physical skill set, it's still the exact same game. And it's you know, it's just as fast, just as physical. Um, it's played the straight, same way technically and tactically. And so once I made those adjustments, I was able to, to transition quickly, which you see with a lot of guys who come into our program who um, have hockey experience before um, before an accident or or a, a circumstance that, that, that occurs later in their life, and they, they transition very quickly and pick it up and, and become, you know, impactful players on our team. And so, you know, once I, once I was able to do that, uh, it, it led to, you know, Team Canada in, in 2012-13, and everything's been incredible since then. Tyler McGregor, part of Team Canada, in town today announcing Para Hockey Cup. 
taking part in the Hockey Canada Foundation Gala. You won gold at the World Hockey Championship back in 2013. You hit the top of the world. You have been to two Paralympic Games, which, you know, there are certain sports when people will say, you know, the Olympics or the Paralympics, yeah, that is that is a pinnacle, but the World Championship, that is something that I find even harder to win when it comes to, let's say, para-ice hockey. The difference between a World Championship medal and and a Paralympic medal, is there a difference? I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, but you know what? We Every every quadrennial, we have the, the opportunity to, to go play in two world championships between each Paralympic Games. And and it's hard to say if one's, one's harder to win than the other. I think, you know, I've been able to, to win two world championships now. Uh, the one thing that, that still eludes us in the past few years is a Paralympic gold. And so... You know, I'd say right now, that's that's what that's what we want most. Um, but that's not to say that that next year when we go to World Championships, we don't want to win there either. We absolutely do, and and that's our intention. Um, so I think just as a team, our our responsibility is is to to prepare to go over there and win gold. And uh, and, and you know, I'll say this because uh, we had a disappointing finish in in Korea. Um, came very close to a Paralympic gold medal, but you know, coming close isn't good enough. Um, we want to we want to go win gold medals every year if we can, and you know that that's a difficult task to do. But uh, but I trust that, that that with our team we have enough talent, skill, and commitment, um, and there's enough character in our room that that we can go win gold medals on a consistent basis and. I think that starts next year with with world championships. Um, so I guess you know, first step towards that is is winning a gold medal at the Canadian Tire Pair Hockey Cup in London in December, and uh, we're excited for that. You mentioned how close. I mean, you guys were unfortunately seconds away, and the game wound up being tied, and then a loss in overtime. As a team, how do you deal with that? It, it was hard. It was by far the the most difficult heartbreaking loss that that we've ever experienced as a team um but i think you know i've said this countless times that that team that we took to korea this year was the best team that i've ever played on not just talent and skill wise but but we were the closest team that that we've ever had and so i think you know as a team we wanted to win a gold medal for each other we wanted to do that together um but on the other side of that even going through a loss, going through something as devastating like as as that was, having being there for each other and, and being able to to lean on each other was extremely helpful. And you know what, myself and and a lot of the guys that are going to continue playing over the next four years, I think that's going to be something that motivates us very much um, moving forward. And, and and we do, we will remember how much that hurt and how difficult that was and and ensure that that we don't have to go through that again um and, and so i think you know as as hard as it was and, and as close as we came you know maybe we can take something positive out, out of that experience and, and move forward to to change the outcome not just in four years in beijing but but moving forward uh right away with with our season next year 
Tyler McGregor with us from Team Canada, getting set for the Para Hockey Cup and eventually, as he says, World Championship, back to the Paralympic Games. Tyler, as a, as a final thing, we opened this conversation talking a little bit about what you went through at the age of 16, and a lot of people will say, hey, if they have a difficult time to go through, you wouldn't believe the doors it opens. You wouldn't believe the things it does for you in life. What do you feel that, that going through that time has opened to, and, and what's it done for you as a person? I think it just changes your perspective on on life in general, really. Um, every single one of us deals with challenges um, day in and day out, whether that's big or small. So for me, it, it helped me understand that, that there's opportunity and adversity and that you have to you have to look for that and you have to continue to work hard and, and commit to to being the best at whatever it is you do. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, is very simple. It's just that nature loves courage. Nature loves when when you commit and you apply yourself and and, and strive to, to be the best at something and do the best job you can, you're rewarded in whatever whatever way that may be. And I think that's important to recognize, but sometimes it's hard to understand when when we deal with, with different challenges that, that we face every day. Tyler, thank you so much for the time today. And, hey, it's great to know that the Para Hockey Cup is coming to London. Can't wait to be there, and uh, we'll see you tonight. Awesome. Yeah, we can't wait for that. Thanks for having me. Take care. That is Tyler McGregor. You too. Born in London, grew up in Forest, and picture it. I mean, he was in his draft year getting set to hopefully play in the Ontario Hockey League, and he broke his leg. And eventually it was found that he had a cancer, spindle cell sarcoma, in his left leg. And to save his life, they had to amputate his leg. And his his dream changed at that point, being 15, 16 years old, and he's turned it into a spot on Canada's national team, He's turned it into two world championship golds. He's turned it into two more medals at the Paralympics. And he's such an inspiring guy to be around. So thanks to Tyler McGregor for being on the show today. We'll take a quick break. We'll let you know who else is coming up. We're going to find out more about the Hockey Canada Foundation because you hear about Hockey Canada on a regular basis. But you don't necessarily see the other aspect that in a way – has felt like kind of a secret for a little while. Well, it's it's not as much of a secret anymore, and that gala is taking place in London tonight at the convention center. It's sold out, by the way, and we're going to hear from the executive director of the Hockey Canada Foundation at about, well, in about 15 minutes from now, as a matter of fact. So we'll be able to see what the lasting legacy of even this event that is taking place tonight will be in London, Ontario, and some of the things that they are doing in growing the sport, maintaining the sports, changing the sport. So that's straight ahead. This is Global News Radio. You're listening to London Live on 980 CFPL. England is leading Tunisia 1-0 at the World Cup. But the point is England should be leading Tunisia 1-0, if not more, at the World Cup. We talked last week, and you can actually find this if, if you go back in my Twitter feed just a little bit. We talked with Taylor Rockwell from Total Soccer Show about the World Cup, and he said that England, make a case for them, they're an underdog just because no one really expects them to win 
Well, all of a sudden, they're not winning by much. Here's a story we're going to work on a little bit more this week. It has come out. You can find it at globalnews.ca right now or at 980cfpl.ca. And it deals with marijuana legislation, but it does something very unique. It compares what's happening in certain provinces with what's happening or not happening here in Ontario. It looks at New Brunswick and how ready they are, right down to barcodes that are already established. And then it turns to the LCBO and says, and in Ontario? And it seems that they've looked away. No comment. They're just not saying anything. Haven't returned calls. Haven't said anything. There may have been plans from the outgoing government to do something. I don't know. I mean, we got caught up in an election, but we've still got to be ready for this. It's not going to happen on July the 1st, but it is going to happen soon. Doug Ford's cabinet is due to be sworn in. When's the magic date on that? June 29th? Yeah, June 29th. So they'll have some work to do to get that going. In Quebec, they'll have 20 stores starting on day one. In New Brunswick, they've got a whole bunch. What do we have? Four. Four. So that's a story we'll check in on in just a little bit. Why is it that Ontario is so slow in this? And in the end, does it really matter? We'll ask that question, too. We have a couple of guys who both played for the London Knights. One, still a member of the London Knights. Coming up in just a moment, they're in town to take part in the Hockey Canada Foundation Gala, where they will be honored as part of Canada's gold medal winning world junior team. We'll hear from Robert Thomas and Alex Formanton in just a couple of minutes. And then, what exactly does the Hockey Canada Foundation do? Well, we're going to discover the answer to that as well. First, Jacqueline LaBelle will have news, and then we'll get to all of that and more on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. The hot weather is really starting to crack, but with it will perhaps come some storms. And we do have cooler weather coming in. Maybe one of those nights, if you've been in the air conditioning the last couple of days, you can crack the window. You can shut the air conditioning off. You crack the window. I still say it's better to sleep with that fresh air blowing in. We do have a breeze outside that's, well, kind of like a wind. So... We'll let you know what's happening in terms of the weather forecast. We're going to find out more about the Hockey Canada Foundation in five, six minutes. But even before we do that, we had a chance earlier today to catch up with a couple of guys who are in town who have spent a lot of time in this city. Robert Thomas, who played this past year at the end with the Hamilton Bulldogs, helped them to an OHL championship. They went off to the Memorial Cup. And Alex Formanton who is a member of the London Knights. Alex is a draft pick of the Ottawa Senators. We had a chance to ask him about that. Robert Thomas is a draft pick of the St. Louis Blues. We got a chance to talk to him about that. But we started off asking Robert Thomas about why he is in town today. He's here because Team Canada is being honored for their gold medal win at the World Junior Hockey Championship. And we asked Robert what that was like. It was a pretty special feeling. Um, you know, not many people get a chance to say they, they've won a World Junior, so uh, to have that sort of accolade is, is pretty cool for sure. Alex, when you go back, what sticks in your mind? The, the celebration? What was it? I think the gold medal game, just uh, the support of our fans. You know, you're just looking around, everyone's wearing red, and um, that was my first Hockey Canada event, so um, to see that was, was pretty special, and obviously it was a bonus to come out with the gold. 
when you put on a Hockey Canada uniform? People say there's a little something different about it. Robbie, what would you say is different? I'd say there's just a little bit of a, it feels different for sure. Um, you know, you're putting putting on your country's crest and, uh, you know, you have the, the support of the whole country behind you and uh, they're all rooting for you, so it's a pretty cool feeling. Being in Buffalo, did you get a sense that there were, you mentioned it, Alex, there are a lot of Canadian fans around, but when you walked around when you weren't playing, could you sense that they were nearby? Yeah, I think uh, even though it was obviously in the States, uh, we had some good support just coming right over over the border. So, um, yeah, I think uh, the support was, was incredible throughout the tournament. Let's go back. OHL Championship, off to the Memorial Cup in Regina. Give us kind of the the lowdown of, of how all of that went for you. Yeah, it, it was pretty neat. Um, it was nice to sort of get another chance at, another chance at after winning it in London. So uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, just the way, way it all sort of happened, it, it was nice to to have another OHL championship and, and get another chance at the Mem Cup. Now you guys look ahead to the next training camps. Alex with Ottawa, what comes at you and when? Uh, it will be the 25th. I head down for, for a week there. So, um, yeah, it should be a good week of evaluation. Obviously excited to get back to Ottawa. And then Robbie, St. Louis, what's next for you? Yeah, I got dev camp coming up later this month, same time as Alex, and then uh, – and then head back in August for to get ready for training camp. Good luck to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Robert Thomas, Alex Formanton, two guys who you could say have never been in your kitchen, but two guys who could be playing in the National Hockey League next year. We'll find out about the Hockey Canada Foundation in just a moment. More to come. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If you know someone who's an English soccer fan, don't call them right now. They're busy, number one, and they're not overly pleased. England won, Tunisia won at the World Cup as they continue on. Don't know if you saw it. Drex is going to have more on this overnight. You can catch the shift with Drex. The World Health Organization has listed video game addiction as a mental health problem. Now, we keep seeing more and more, and I don't know whether it's taken Fortnite for this to actually hit attention because Fortnite is something that a lot of people will say, yeah, yeah, play that for, uh, well, not that much, just eight or nine hours a day. That's it. That's, it's not as much as, as it seems. They fly by those hours. And Fortnite essentially pits you against 99 other people anywhere in the world, and it's a, a shooting game. So the idea is to take out everybody else, and you become the last one standing. And if you are, what do you do? You win a million dollars? No, you win nothing. You get to try and do it again. Get some bragging rights. I think you might up your status a little bit so you can what buy more armor. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly how it works. But it's you against 99 other people, and it's become a very addictive game. There are other games that are very, very addictive. You could probably have done this with World of Warcraft years ago. But now it's becoming something that even World Health Organization is recognizing. So more on that with Drex tonight on the shift with Drex. And you can always head to the 980CFPL website at 980CFPL.ca if you don't catch an interview and you can find it there. So if you're not up late and you miss it but you want to hear it, that is the place to head tomorrow. Tonight in London, we have the Hockey Canada Foundation Gala. 
and it brings together all kinds of big names in the Canadian hockey world. Danielle Goyette, Ryan Smith, Mike Babcock, many names from the gold medal winning World Junior Team. They are all here in town, and they're all going to be taking part in something that raises money for the foundation. Well, what do we actually know about the Hockey Canada Foundation? What's it doing? What's happening here? Why don't we find that out? Donna Yumpieri is the executive director of the Hockey Canada Foundation because this will have a lasting legacy on London, Ontario. Donna, it's great to have you with us. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Mike? Not too bad. We have seen little bits of Hockey Canada kind of all over the place in this area, especially recently as we kind of count down to the gala. So it's fantastic to have you here. If we're talking about the Hockey Canada Foundation, it's something that maybe didn't get the publicity that it deserved for a little while, but it certainly is getting that now. For anybody who is unsure of what the Hockey Canada Foundation does, where would you start? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I would start by saying uh, Hockey Canada Foundation has been around since 2000, um, but we've been keeping it a little bit of a secret, so I'm glad that uh, it's popping up and people are noticing it these days. But um, I guess in a nutshell, the foundation seeks to enable, educate, and engage Canadians through Canada's game. We want to help remove any of the barriers that could prevent any Canadian child or their family from playing the game that we all love, hockey, and being part of our communities and uh, and our game. What do you see as being some of the most significant barriers at the moment? Yeah, great question. So obviously financial is a, is a barrier, um, a geographic region. Canada is a big country, so there's so many areas uh, in the north that are pretty remote, so that becomes um, a barrier for organized sport. I would say culture with uh, the influx of new Canadians um, and myself being an immigrant's kid, it wasn't something that my parents uh, quickly said, hey, wow, what's this dream? We love it. Let's put our kids on skates and put sticks in their hands and tell them to go out there and play. But um, I think those are probably uh, three of the uh, the biggest barriers that we're looking at right now in the game. Let's talk about the financial side of it, because that is a reality with a lot of things, not just hockey. How For do sure. you help that out? Yeah, great. So the foundation's whole mandate is to raise the funds that could uh, support Hockey Canada programs to make uh, things like Dreams Come True, The First Shift, um, try hockey a reality. So our board of directors um, and actually our foundation gala, which is our largest fundraiser, uh, the proceeds from that event go coast to coast to coast to make sure that we can alleviate uh, as much of the burden of cost as possible. We're talking with Donna Yumpieri, who is the director of the Hockey Canada Foundation. Geographic stuff is tough. You take a look at the United States. You've got high-end teams from California and Arizona that fly every couple of weeks just to get that top-notch competition. In terms of what you're looking at geographically, it might not necessarily be the high-end teams, but how do you deal with maybe some of those remote areas who have great players or people who are interested in the game and can't necessarily find any competition. Yeah, a great question. So you take a look, you take an area like none of it that's 
you know, they've got a great community, really strong community base, but they're just so far removed from um, other communities to have competitive games go on. So what we've done and what we continue to do or look to do is to send in teams um, to help bring those skills and drills. And um, we also work with the branches or minor hockey associations across the country to see how we can get the kids into tournaments or um, make it more accessible uh, for them to be part of, you know, the bigger game. We're talking right now with Donna Yampieri, who is the director of the Hockey Canada Foundation. The Hockey Canada Foundation was in London as part of Dreams Come True. You were talking about that. Take us through what took place well, uh, just to, to start, Dreams Come True is a flagship program for the foundation, um, and anybody who's actually participated or seen a video um, knows the power of that program. We actually um, selected uh, London as a site because of the Gallon. It's another little piece of the legacy that we're leaving in, in the London community. Uh, basically, it's a program where um, we work with local agencies and social workers to find um, um, families in need of um, assistance with um, organized sports and kids really want to play hockey. Um, and we bring 30 of those kids together. We dress them up in brand new head-to-toe bower equipment and we pay their registration fees for the following season in house league hockey. Um, that's not all we do. We actually bring, we come in, we bring in Hockey Canada trainers, staff um, to come in there and create like a little fantasy camp for these kids and their families. Um, we set up dressing rooms, they've got name bars, they've got all the, uh, the the bells and whistles that any NHLer would have or any major player would have. Um, and it's also a time for their families to enjoy it as well. So uh, what we're learning is that the kids, they're kids and they're jumping and they're happy and they're excited and they're, they're hot-dogging on the ice. Some of them are just learning how to skate on the ice, so it's amazing. But what we're finding are the parents or the grandparents or the guardians of these kids are so grateful because, you know, there's different challenges that uh, that people face and as a parent or as a guardian you want to give your kid everything you possibly can so uh, you know something as simple as as a sport that they want to play sometimes uh, isn't as easy as we think it is so um, it's great to see not only the kids enjoying it but also the parents and, and the community and the volunteers that we have uh, rallying around this so it was it was amazing Donna Yumpieri, Director of Hockey Canada Foundation with us. Donna, let's now look ahead to the gala, which is sold out. How about that? It's fantastic. We knew it would be. We knew London would. Uh, they told us from the get-go, they said, trust us, we're going to not just make this good, we're going to make this the best. And uh, they're living true to that, and it, it's probably one of the best hockey communities in this country. So really excited to be in southwestern Ontario. What sorts of things go on at the gala? Great question. So it's a celebration. Again, it's our largest fundraiser. So partial proceeds, um, we actually take those dollars and 50% of the partial of the net proceeds stay right in London to create a uh, lasting legacy fund. And this year's event was selected by the London uh, Steering Committee to uh, have an endowment for Tri Hockey and First Shift. Um, so continuing to allow um, 
uh, low-income families and kids the opportunity to play the game. And 50% of the other proceeds will go back to Hockey Canada to ensure that these type of programs are happening coast to coast to coast. Um, so, of course, it's going to be an amazing event. It's going to be um, we're going to bring back our um, World Juniors Championship team to be celebrated at gala. We're going to celebrate local alumni and VIPs in the community. Um, we also have a great, um, we call it like an event within the event, the Order of Hockey in Canada celebration. Um, and this year's recipients are Mike Babcock, Danielle Goyette, and uh, Ryan Smith, who will be celebrated and receive their um, honorary uh, designation at gala. Um, they'll say a couple words. We can expect anything that any hockey event would have. We'll have a great uh, local heroes hot stove component. And uh, we're going to let the thousand people in that sold out room learn a little bit more, uh, bring them on a little journey on who we are at Hockey Canada and the foundation and what we strive to do. Because at the end of the day, it's a great meal. It's a lot of fun, uh, but the cause is what's driving us all to uh, make this come to life. And the fundraising aspect of this, these are some serious dollars that go to help everything that you've been describing. 100%. Hundred percent. So uh, we we have an incredible steering committee led by Jeff McCown in London, and that team has gone above and beyond not only to sell the sponsorships and sell the tables, but to help us negotiate incredible rates to get us donated. You know, uh, be it uh, printing, local printing, be it uh, the wine from Dark Horse, be it um, uh, the transportation needs that we have. So it's not just about raising the money, but it's cutting the expense and. At the end of the day, we're here for net dollars, so uh, it's it's going to be hopefully a really big local legacy fund that gets to stay right there in the community and continue to help years after the gala. Well, Donna, you started by saying that the Hockey Canada Foundation was a bit of a secret. Now it definitely isn't. Thank you and congratulations on the work that you do. Thank you, Mike. Donna Yumpieri, Executive Director of the Hockey Canada Foundation. Big event in town tonight at the Convention Centre. You can check us out on Instagram later on. We'll make sure and post what it looks like inside the event. And if you don't follow us on Instagram, now's a perfect time to go and do that very thing. We'll be back to close out the show in just a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. The Great Lakes International Air Show took place yesterday. Congratulations to everybody involved in that because it was dynamite. Finished off with the Snowbirds. They used to offer promotional flights. I don't think they do that anymore. I'd love to be able to go up and and do that with, we were mentioning Instagram before the last break. If you don't follow us on Instagram, please do so, because we post all kinds of different things that do happen in the area, and yesterday's story on Instagram had little bits and pieces of the air show. And I'd love to be able to go up and film something and then put that on Instagram, because it's it's wild what those planes can do. I got a chance to go up once in a T-33 Thunderbird. I don't for. People who know their planes, you'll know what that is. I still know that it was kind of like a jet, and it went really, really fast. And it was being flown by a guy, no joke, his name was Big Dog. And if there was anybody who should have that name, he was the guy. Anybody else who calls himself Big Dog, you should probably call and check with him to make sure it's still okay if you do that. And he would say, you like rides? And I said, yeah, I don't mind rides. And so we'd be flying around. He goes, okay, we're going to do something. And he says, look down. 
And so I looked down and he goes, that's Port Stanley. And then all of a sudden the plane flipped all over and, and then all of a sudden we straightened out again and he says, look down. And I looked down and he goes, that's Grand Bend. And it was maybe six seconds. So the things that these aircraft can do are absolutely phenomenal. They had a Sea King at the Great Lakes International Air Show yesterday. That is the most deployed vehicle or most deployed aircraft in the Canadian Armed Forces. The thing is absolutely massive, but does all kinds of things. And so, uh, job well done. And uh, here's here's hoping we see more of that kind of stuff. I mean, London Air Show is always great to have. So here's hoping that uh, that what we saw going back now, well, almost a year, we can see again. What do you think? We are going to be talking about a number of things as this week goes along. One being marijuana. And another, rural schools. Tomorrow we're going to get into the topic of rural schools because we have fewer and fewer people going to rural schools. And we have seen a lot of closures. What's the plan for this? What should be the plan for this? What, do we bus kids out of the city to rural schools? Does that make any sense? It's a topic we will discuss tomorrow. So if you have any thoughts on education, get them ready. Up next, Matt Trevithick and Jacqueline LaBelle with news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.